I'll tell a quick story. When I first got married, this is not even a part of the sermon, but when I first got married, I, I, I tried all sorts of Filipino foods, right? Because I'm marrying into a Filipino family. And some are, let's use the word, more palatable than others in terms of sight. Everything was, you know, strange to me. I grew up with, with not a great, greatly diverse palate, okay? My mom made like four dishes on rotation. They were phenomenal, but they were on rotation, right? So now I, I'm trying all sorts of foods from all around the world. And, and, and at one point, Ann's family, they put this fish head in front of me. I'm like, oh, you just eat it? You know? Like, yeah, yeah, it's a delicacy. It's a delicacy. I'm like, it's delicate? It's a delicacy? You know, I'm just like, oh, boy. It didn't feel as palatable as some of the other foods. This morning is not going to be as palatable as some of the other foods. It's going to feel like, wow, that's, that's a topic that's hard to approach. It's hard to just kind of go after. But we're going to go after it because we're going verse by verse through a book of the Bible, and we need to address what Jesus addresses, okay? Uh, my first nine years of uh, church planting, I, I pastored a church plant in Michigan. It was a big part of my life, uh, and so I share some of, some, some of that sometimes. And it, it was compelling, to say the least. And I'll share with you one compelling moment about five or six years in, but I got, I got to back you up and tell you where we started. We started in this living room, eight people, and we're pumped up. I don't know how we get eight people pumped up about changing the world, but we did. I say we felt like we were taking on the world together. So we're eight people in the living room. We love Jesus. We love people. We love our city, and we're going after it. So we outgrow the living room. Big deal, right? You outgrow the living room. And we, we, we moved into a bar. Now, it was closed on Sunday nights, but we had someone who line danced there on Tuesday nights. So they let us use it for free. You can't make this stuff up, all right? It wasn't one of those nice, trendy bars. You're like, wow, that sounds like a great idea. No, it was like basically in the middle of nowhere. It was musty. Uh, the, the, the pictures on the wall were distracting and immoral, okay? They were just, and they were there, and we weren't allowed to take them down. Like somehow they were just part of the structure of, of the whole place. I mean, this is what was going on. On Halloween, I'd be preaching, and they'd have zombie heads hanging from the ceiling. It's just a bit, distra- a bit distracting. At one point, I looked up, and there was a fish hook through the zombie's eye, and I'm like, wow, this is, this is nice. You know, we, we got to do something about this. That was kind of my epiphany, like, we got to do something about this. The fish hook through the eye was my last straw. So we bought this church building, $55,000. Okay, you can't get a storage unit here for that, right? We bought this church building, this little, little comfortable, nice church building. It was perfect for us, perfect. So we filled that thing up. Two services, people are, are parking on the grass, everybody's excited. We have a decent budget now. We're a real church. Like we, we feel like we grew up, you know, we went through puberty as a church, and, and we're gonna get this church building, right? So so we bought a banquet hall, like 88, 8900 square feet, I forget what it was, and, and, and we're gonna gut reno this thing. Now I don't know if you remember, if you've ever been a part of like a, a gut reno project. Um, I've been a, a part of a few of them. But it knocks your lights out, man. Like this gut, this gut rental project, it, it, it took all of us. We didn't just pay a contractor. We weren't a mega church. We, we, did it our, we did most of it ourselves, and 
we're in there. I'm either being a pastor or a drywaller or a floor putter downer or a painter or I'm putting out fires. Like if you've ever been a part of a project, you know like thousands of dollars just shifts like that and it makes your throat go to your stomach and your stomach go to your feet. Like it just, it just kills you. So for six months, I'm putting out metaphorical fires. Like at one point, this banquet hall, they spray painted black lunch trays. I don't know if they stole them from the middle school lunch down the street or what. Like that, that's immoral in itself. But they spray painted lunch trays black to catch water from coming out of the ceiling. So this is the type of stuff we're dealing with. Six months, I'm barely home, right? I'm, I'm doing one of these things. I get sick, naturally. Pretty sick. My wife's like, you got to slow down. you got to stop. But it's the week of the launch. We had put little, little rockets in, in people's jeans at the Gap. Not like while they were wearing them. Okay, that would have been awkward. But we put them in, their, in the jeans so that when they put on the jeans and they bought the jeans, they find this little rocket that said it's going to launch. And the website, it's called Guerrilla Marketing, right? You marketing folks know that thing. I don't even know if that's the right term. I shouldn't have done that. I mean, I'm, I'm with a crowd who knows marketing. All right, I'm just going to draw that back in. But it, 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 was, it, was, it was crazy. Like, we were building, we put them in, in, in books at Barnes & Noble. Like, people were excited to come out to this launch of this new church. And we were going to hit them with it. And it was that week. And I had an abscess in my throat. It was an infected abscess. When I talked, I sounded like Kermit the Frog. I was sweating all the time. I had a fever all the time. And I'm still working, right? Saturday night comes. I got nothing. I, I know what I want to say. I know that I can't wait for tomorrow. This is going to be one of the biggest moments in our young church's history. Hundreds of people are going to be there to hear about Jesus and how Jesus turned eight people into hundreds. They're, and I want to preach this thing. And so I'm basically just crying out to God. You ever been there? Just, Jesus, I need you. Please heal me. Please heal me. Jesus, you're my healer. Please. And in that vulnerable moment on a couch in my basement, I feel the, a pop in my throat. Just pop. I immediately gargled some salt water. Within 20 minutes, I had realized it, it's gone, and I'm starting to feel better. An hour goes by, and I'm almost 100%. Like, my health just shot up. The next morning was one of the most powerful church services, one of those most powerful moments I've ever been a part of in, in, in my young Christian following. I just, it was amazing. Jesus had healed me. I'm reading the scripture this week. We're going to be in Mark 5. I'm reading Mark 5 this week, and I'm thinking to myself, I'm remembering all these flooding thoughts that came in while, while I'm sitting on this couch. Like, Jesus, or maybe you've seen someone healed by God. Jesus just healed me. What do I do with this information? What do I do with this thought? Uh, do I tell somebody? Do I not? I mean, it's a bit confusing in the scriptures, isn't it? Jesus tells one guy, shush, whoop, hey, shush, don't go tell nobody. That's really because he doesn't want to get persecuted too early. Tells another guy, go tell the priest, because it's protocol to go tell the priest. Tells another guy, go tell it on a mountain. Right, so I'm thinking to myself, what do I do with this information? I'm laying there on the couch, I'm going, God, who do I tell? How do I tell him? What do I do 
when God heals me? Because God doesn't just heal you physically. Maybe you don't believe in that, by the way. We'll, we'll address that. God doesn't just heal you physically. He heals you emotionally. Holy Spirit helps you learn how to deal with your emotions in a healthy, biblical, identity-filled way. He, he heals your emotions. He heals you spiritually, meaning you're going through spiritual warfare, and he takes something unclean out of your life. What do you do when God heals you? In every single one of those scenarios, you need to have the appropriate match to your ailment. What do you do when God heals you? We're going to be in Mark 5.1 today. Would you turn there with me? Mark 5.1. We're going to go through 20 verses. But it's okay. That's a lot of verses. It's okay because Jesus is a demon hunter. It's compelling. You'll be with me, I promise. You're like, I don't know if I can handle 20, 20 verses in this heat. He's hunting demons. It's amazing, all right? So just stick with me. It's really gripping. The title of the, me the message today, if, if you like to write down titles, is what do I do when God heals me? They came to the other side of the sea, to the country of Gerasthenes. Gerasthenes. Can you all say that with me? One, two, three. Gerasthenes. That's so good. It's so good. You just need, I, I wish I was from Gerasthenes. I, I looked it up on, in the Greek and I, I, I was pronouncing it. I'm like, oh, I wish I was from, like if someone asked me, where are you from? I'm from Gerasthenes. Where are you from? New Jersey. Exactly. Verse 2 had nothing to do with the sermon, sorry. And when Jesus had stepped out of the boat, immediately there met, uh, there met him out of the tombs a man with an unclean spirit. 13 out of 18 miracles Jesus does in Mark are getting rid of what translates as unclean, impure, or not sacred spirits. In other words, just to put it plainly, the wrong team. They're demons, okay? This is spiritual warfare. And you think this is intense, it gets more intense. Verse three, he lived among the tombs and no one could bind him anymore, not even uh, with a chain. For he had been bound with shackles and chains, but he wrenched the chains apart and he broke the shackles in pieces. No one had the strength to subdue him. Night and day among the tombs and on the mountains, he was always crying out and cutting himself with stones. He's physical, he's tortured, he's depressed, he's lost. And sometimes we need physical healing, sometimes we need emotional healing, sometimes we need spiritual healing and spiritual warfare. Sometimes they're all, they're all attached to each other all the time. We need the right method for the right madness. We need the right method to match the ailment, right? You, you can't take a defibrillator to your kid who's got a cold. It's not going to go well. You need, the, you need the, the matching, the matching uh, source for the ailment. Spiritual healing needs spiritual warfare. Verse 6. And when he saw Jesus from afar, he ran and fell down uh, to him. And crying out with a loud voice, he said, What have you to do with me, Jesus, son of the Most High? I adjure you by God. Do not torment me. He was saying to him, Come out of the man, you unclean spirit. And Jesus asked him, What is your name? Ancient Jewish literature, this is Excuse me, this is a spiritual warfare tactic. So you would ask the demon's name before you cast the demon out. The demon tries to do it on Jesus and try to identify Jesus, but Jesus flips it on him and, and casts the demon out. We'll find out in a second. He replied, my, my name is Legion, for we are many. 
And he begged him earnestly. So, so there's more than one demon in this man. And he begged him earnestly not to send them out to the country. Now a herd of great pigs was feeding there on the hillside. And they, and they begged him uh, saying, send us to the pigs. This is the legion. Let us enter them. So he gave them permission and the unclean spirits came out and entered the pigs and the herd numbering about 2,000. That's a lot of bacon. Rushed down the steep bank into the sea and drowned them in the sea. You need, you need the whole historical picture here. The reason there's 2,000, the reason this number is significant is because most Roman legions had that many foot soldiers, 2,000. And there's a famous legion that was a part of the siege of Jerusalem. Right? The big enemy here typically is not spiritual warfare. It's Rome. Uh, they don't know it's spiritual warfare. Spiritual warfare is, is prevalent, but they really are, are against Rome at this time. And, and this famous Rome, Roman legion called Fratensis had exactly 2,000 Roman foot soldiers. And not only that, but the, the symbol on their standards was a boar. So good. Jesus is saying, I'm the victor in the physical. I'm the victor against Rome when I need to be. I'm the victor against the spiritual when I need to be. I heal all. I intervene in all. What do you do when God heals you? See, I don't think that's the first question, though, at least to us. I think the first question is, do you have a healing theology? You got a healing theology? Do you have an understanding of God when it comes to healing? See, everybody believes something about God and healing. Everybody has, like maybe you have an avoidance theology, I'll list off a couple of avoidance theologies. Either way, it's you avoiding, it's you sidestepping. You're not comfortable with the idea that someone is praying for physical healing. You saw some dude online, he had a healing cloth, he's whipping people in the face, you're like, this is weird. And you just, you're done. You're done. You're uncomfortable with the idea of spiritual warfare, and I'm going to group the two together today, because in both cases, God strips out something that's unclean. You're uncomfortable with this. And so you have an avoidance theology. Some of y'all got a Vix theology when it comes to healing. Vix heals everything. We was laughing about it in the leadership meeting this week. Most of us grew up with a Vix theology, right? It wasn't, it wasn't that we, had, we asked Jesus to heal us or Jesus to be a part of it. It was just Vix. You're like, Mom, I got a broken toe. She's like, Vix. You're like, I don't know how that has anything to do with my toe. Vix. You're like, Mom, I'm, I'm experiencing spiritual darkness, I think. She's like, Vix will cast that thing out. What? Vix will be the exorcism. Vix was everything. So we got a Vix theology. It's just, it's just a way to avoid the topic of do I have a really robust or balanced theology of healing? What do I believe about Jesus healing? It's an avoidance theology. How about a change the subject theology? Some of you just want to change the subject. You're in a circle. People are talking about God healing. People are talking about spiritual warfare. They're talking about someone that went through some spiritual warfare type stuff. And your insides are like, change the subject. And your outsides are like, did you guys see the third season of Stranger Things? Like you just, you just, you just flow. You're like, good night. Let's change the subject, please. Please. It's an avoidance theology. It's you saying, I don't really want to talk about this. We, we treat healing and, and spiritual warfare like, 
like they're a bee. Like if we just stand here long enough and don't pay attention to the bee, it'll go away. That's how we treat healing. That's how we treat, uh, that's, that's who we are with these avoidance theologies. The war is not going to go away if you ignore it. You're just not going to be a part of it. The spiritual battle is still going to go on. Paul tells us in Ephesians, what? Your, your battle is not against flesh and blood. It's against the principalities of darkness. We'll study that scripture a little bit later. This is what your war is against. It's not going to go away. You have to address it in your life. You have to figure out what you believe. We do this with all sorts of things that Jesus talks about. We do this with a pneumatology. You know what pneumatology is? Pneumatology is a study of the spirit. Pneuma means Holy Spirit, right? 385 times. 385 times it's talked about. The spirit, the word spirit. Jesus tells you you'll receive the Holy Spirit. Jesus tells you he needs to leave so you can receive the Holy Spirit. Yet we have full denominations that want to avoid the subject of the spirit in general. We do this with healing. We do this with anointing. We do this with spiritual warfare. We do this with money. We do this with money. One-tenth of all New Testament ver gospel verses, excuse me, just gospel verses, are talking about money, are directing their, 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 their subject and their thoughts to money. One-tenth, 288. And yet we get to a church, they talk about money, they're like, oh, that church loves money too much. I'm leaving. Do you know what this is? This is us trying to control the narrative of Jesus. This is us saying, I'm uncomfortable with that, so I'm not going to talk about it. And my church better not talk about it either. Come on. We can't control the narrative of Jesus. He controls the narrative. And we either join in the narrative or we miss the war, we miss the power, we miss the joy, we miss the family, we miss the love, we miss the relationships. Those are our options. Some of you got a, a, an avoidance theology of some sort. Some of you have the opposite. You have what we'll call a comeback theology meaning no matter what the topic is, you always bring it back to spiritual warfare. Someone puts a cupcake on the table, you're like, not today, Satan, right? The high heel breaks, nuh-uh, Satan, nuh-uh. You get a scratch in, on your car in the city, you're like, this is spiritual warfare. No, it's not. You're parking a car in the city. That's the type of warfare you're going through. Don't buy a nice one, right? It's like some of this stuff is not spiritual warfare. And remember what we said, you, you need the right addressing to the right ailment. So if you try to address the scratch on your car with a spiritual, like you start praying through that thing, nothing's going to happen. Like so, Sometimes the reason you're not getting a job is not because God doesn't want you or Satan is after your life. Sometimes your resume stinks and you got to stop wearing T-shirts to interviews. Right? Just sometimes it's not spiritual. Sometimes Satan, I mean, he's usually attacking your marriage, but sometimes it's not that. And if you just give Satan all the credit all the time, you're not going to figure out how to communicate better, how to go to counseling, how to be more intimate, how to date more. You're not going to address it in the right way. You need to address it the right way. You need to know what the ailment is. Is it physical? Is it emotional? Is it spiritual? Is it a combination of all three? We tend to lean 
on one side or the other, like the most emotional end of each structure. That's what we tend to do. When we need what's called a discerning middle, this is the answer, a discerning middle. Asking the Holy Spirit, asking God to mature you, to grow you, and figure out which one it is at which time. And this takes work, this takes thought, this takes prayer, this takes maturing. But sometimes it is demonic. Sometimes you've invited some sort of spiritual darkness into your life. You're a part of some sort of generational sin. You've been around something for too long. You're giving invitation to to something dark for too long. And you've got to do something about that. I don't know if this quote will be up here, but I read this quote this week. If you don't deal with your demons, they'll go into the cellar of your soul and lift weights. It's going in your soul, you know, getting diesel. If that's the case, you need to take spiritual measures. Spiritual matters call for spiritual measures. Y'all hear me? Spiritual matters call for spiritual measures. Natural uh, matters call for natural measures. You have to pray against things. You got to get specific. You got to get a team. You got to invite your missional community. You got to invite some prayer warriors. You got to do something to get spiritual about it. And then you got to stamp it in the name of Jesus. Let's go back to the demoniac. Human hands. Gangs of people can't bind this man. He's a beast. He's breaking shackles and chains. 2,000 demons in one man. Nobody can touch this man. He's walking around tombs. How creepy is that? He's yelling at people. He's yelling at himself. He's cutting himself. He's full of brokenness. But Jesus, with his mouth, with his words, cast 2,000 demons, a legion of demons, into some pigs, and they're so scared, they drown themselves. This is the name of Jesus. The name of Jesus. Spiritual matters call for spiritual measures. God gives us all sorts of spiritual measures. Straight to that Ephesians text. But let me say this before we get into that Ephesians text. It's called the armor of God. It's a famous text. If you try to address the demonic with your fists, it's not going to go well. You're not Van Helsing. It's going to break down. You have to have the right measure for the right matter. Ephesians 6, verse 13. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand the evil day and having done all to stand firm. It's a marathon. Stand, therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth. Satan's famous favorite weapon, falsehood. Telling you who you're not, knocking you off a true identity, speaking lies into your heart and mind, into your relationships. So what do you got to have? You got to have some truth. And you got to get them friends who speak some truth over your life. You got some of them people who speak truth, and you're like, man, they're annoying. Keep them around. They're doing war for you constantly. They may be annoying, but everybody's always got a few annoying friends, don't we? Stand therefore, having fastened on the belt of truth and having put on the breastplate of righteousness. Righteousness is right with Godness, and sometimes you ain't right with God. 
Meaning, you have all sorts of stuff you haven't repented of. You haven't tried to spend time with God in, in months or years, days. Now, nothing can separate you from the love of Christ, but in your free will, you can start to peel yourself off of God. You can start to peel yourself off of depending on God, and you just need to repent and come back and be right with God because if you're not right with God, you have all sorts of uh, vulnerabilities. And as shoes for your feet, having put on the readiness given by the gospel of peace, that's the truth and the, and, and the joy that Jesus died for you and resurrected. In all circumstances, take up a shield of faith. You got to have faith that when you call out the name of Jesus, that you're calling out the winning team. You got to have faith that there's actually there's, there's victory in your tone. Because if you don't have faith in that, the, the presence, the dark presence, will know that. They know you're just playing around. They know you don't believe what you're saying. With which you can extinguish all the flaming darts of the evil one and take the helmet of salvation. Uh, another one of Satan's uh, famous and, and favorite tactics is to get you off the idea that you are saved, that you are loved, you are purchased, you are a son of God, you are a daughter of God. It does not matter what you've done. You are rescued now and forever. He loves you and he can take you out of something. He wants you to rip off the helmet of salvation. God wants you to keep it on. And the sword of the spirit, which is the word of God, your offensive weapon is the word of God, is the scriptures in your heart, in your mind, on the tablet of your soul. Praying at all times in the spirit, with all prayer and supplication. You gotta pray with the help of people, with the help of Holy Spirit, because spiritual matters call for spiritual measures. Ann and I were walking through this house. We were house hunting. Uh, we're walking through this house. The one level didn't have anybody on it. It was great. Next level had somebody on it. It was dirty. They weren't really interacting with us. They were kind of staring at us in a weird way. We leave there. We felt, we both felt separately, but somehow simultaneously, this spiritual darkness, the hairs on my skin were like, I don't know if you've ever had this before, like poking in the air. And we were just silent for like four blocks. We didn't talk about the house, which whenever we get out of the house, we're like, did you like it? Did you like it? Did you like it? We weren't talking. And I said, did you feel that? She said, yeah, did you feel that? I said, yeah. So we prayed. Spiritual darkness. I got home. I let my family out of the car. I called up Pastor Pedro. I'm like, yo, do some battle for me. So he started praying for that family, whatever's going on in that household, then he started covering my family in the name of Jesus because spiritual matters call for spiritual measures. This week, coincidentally, we're talking about healing and spiritual warfare. Your boy, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, has the flu. Wednesday night, I'm, I'm, I'm sweating up and down. I'm sweating up and down. I wake up every two hours with the same dark nightmare. So I'm going through the physical and the spiritual. One that means Satan's nervous that we're going to talk about spiritual warfare and the truth of Jesus is going to go out. One, that's one. Two, I wake up, I, I, I cuddle with my wife and I say, please pray for me. Because spiritual matters call for spiritual measures. Sometimes it's not spiritual. It's just part of being a human. We're broken, we're messed up, we're annoying. Sometimes a car crash is because we decided at some point 
to make these really fast medical, uh, 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 metal vehicles. And we like to go fast with them around corners. And we like to drink alcohol. Sometimes it wasn't Satan. And it wasn't God not using his sovereign touch. It's not that simple. Sometimes it's spiritual. Sometimes it's natural. And you need a discerning middle. And you need all sorts of wisdom. Read, read Proverbs Proverbs is full of spiritual wisdom and it's full of natural wisdom. It teaches you how to work hard and work diligent. Sometimes you're po, not because it's somebody else's fault, but because you're not working hard. Sometimes it's spiritual, sometimes it's natural. We need a healing theology. I'm going to go a little bit risky here. This also goes along with just flat out healing. Okay? We have to have a balance here, a discerning middle. I believe that Jesus heals yesterday, today, and forever, that he is the same God. And the same God that's casting out demons here, and the same God that's spitting in the mud and putting out in dudes' eyes, and he's, and he's blind, and now he's no longer blind. That same God is in my life, and he heals me, and he heals my throat, and he's healed my knee, and I've seen him heal people from cancer. I've seen him give people 30 more years after they gave him like two months. I've seen it. And I've also seen people die. And I've just understood you have to have a discerning middle. You just do. And you can't live by this prosperity gospel that's all the way over here. Yelling at people, tell them, you didn't have enough faith. All you got to do is have this measure of faith. All you got to do is claim this because Jesus said if you claim this in his name, you're going to get it. I never see those people preach that while holding somebody's hand in the ICU. I never see them preach it. You got to pray with faith for sure. You got to do battle and spiritual warfare and sometimes God heals you right now, right here and all the time, God is going to heal you in heaven and you're going to have a beautiful, healthy body. You're not going to worry about tears or sickness or any of it. But sometimes we have to deal with this sickness. There's a discernible middle somewhere, isn't it? You have to gain for yourself a, a, a healing theology. You have to have a balance. That was the first question, okay? Let's make it all the way to our original question. What do we do, and we're almost done, what do we do when God heals me? Verse 14 the herdsmen fled and told it in the city and in the country. And people came to see what, what, uh, what was that that happened, that ha what had happened. <laughs> verse, four, verse 15. And they came to Jesus and saw the demon-possessed man, the one who had the legion sitting there clothed in his right mind. And they were afraid because dude was crazy. And now he's there and he's like, does anybody want some tea? You know, it's like, what, what happened here? I don't know why he wanted tea. What was that? I don't know. Pray for me. Verse 16. And those who had seen it described to them what had happened to, to the demon-possessed man and to the pigs. And they began to beg Jesus to depart from their region. Like, like, like we mentioned before, like this may be you. You rather avoid the power of God, right? Like sometimes the comfort of spiritual apathy is more comfortable than the uncomfort or the uncomfortable engagement in spiritual warfare. Like sometimes you don't even know it, but you rather just not have the healing. 
Because it's more uncomfortable than engaging in spiritual warfare. For them, they want Crazy Joe. Let's keep Crazy Joe around because we don't need this other stuff where some demons are going in some pigs. We lost a lot of pigs there. Like, we don't need this other stuff. Sometimes it's more comfortable for us to just live with it, isn't it? Verse 18, as he was getting into the boat, the man who had been possessed with demons begged him that he might be with him. And he did not permit him. What's going on here, Jesus? He did not permit him, but said to him, go home to your friends and tell them how much the Lord has done for you and how he has mercy on you. And he went away and began to proclaim in the Decapolis, that's important, how much Jesus had done for him. And everyone marveled. Give two claps for yourself because you made it through 20 verses. Why didn't Jesus take, take him with? Why not? I thought Jesus loved everybody. Jesus loves me. What's, what's going on here? He didn't take the poor guy on the trip. Jesus needs this guy to go to the Decapolis and spread the word of God. See, see, what do I do when God heals me? You better tell somebody. Now, I know, I know again, in the scriptures, there's all three. But the reason that Jesus doesn't want somebody to be told right away is because I don't think he wants to. Now, sometimes he asks you to keep some things to yourself, absolutely. And you need discernment for that. You need holy discernment for that. But, but most of the time, he's telling, you got, you got to tell somebody. Sometimes, in the scriptures, he tells dude, go to the priest. That's law. We don't have that law anymore. New law is Jesus. You got to tell somebody. Back to the uh, beginning, the, the story from the beginning where we plant this church and, and Jesus heals me and I get up in front of people. I just canceled the entire first part of the message and I just talked about how nervous Satan must have been that this group of Jesus followers is getting traction. How nervous will Satan be when you understand that there's a war going on and you're sick of being on the sidelines. That people need healing and you have Jesus and you can bring them Jesus. How nervous will he be? And so what you got to do is you got you to get to the rooftop. You got to get to a mountaintop. You got to tell somebody about Jesus and what Jesus has done to you. The Decapolis is a highly pagan nation. That's why they got so many pigs, Right? The Jews would not be around that many pigs. The Decapolis is, is, is a collection of three Greek states. They don't want nothing to do with God or Jesus. So Jesus says, I don't need you to go with me. I got this part. I want you to go to the Decapolis. You know what Jesus is saying to us today? You got to go to Jersey City. Jersey City does not know Jesus. There is not enough Jesus. So what do I do when God heals me? You tell somebody about Jesus. That's it. Tell somebody about Jesus. One, get yourself a healing theology. Two, join the war. People are sick. They're tired in the middle of the war. They're sweating. They're coming back with all sorts of scars all over their face. They need you to join in and stop being so worried about how you feel about the war. Join the war and then, and then tell somebody about Jesus about what he's done in your life. Would you stand with me? Let's pray and let's sing a song called Rooftops.
I think you can guess what the song is about. Jesus, thank you that you are our healer. Thank you that you love our emotions, our thoughts, our mind. Thank you that you protect us in the spiritual battle. Thank you that you drive us in the physical. Thank you that you're the same God yesterday, today, and forever. God, help us have the courage to stop sitting on the bench. Help us get in. Thank you, Jesus, that you've healed people in this room. Give them the courage of testimony. Give them the courage. Thank you, Jesus, that you don't want us depressed. You don't want us lost. You don't want us crazy. You want us turning to you. You don't want us lost in ourselves. You want us lost in you. Jesus, we worship you. It's by your name that a legion runs into pigs and the pigs want to drown themselves. It's by your name, Jesus, that we shout your name from the rooftops. We love you, Jesus. And you know, I pray these things. Amen.